Welcome to Social Anxiety Solutions, your journey to social confidence. My name is Sebastian van der Schrier, and I'm from socialanxietysolutions.com. I'm an ex-social anxiety disorder sufferer, and thanks to the help of a technique called EFT, which stands for Emotional Freedom Technique, a uh, scientifically proven to be effective technique to reduce and release negative emotions, as well as the assistance of my coach and some brilliant therapist, I've been able to become anxiety-free. And on this show, I interview experts each week to explore different social anxiety solutions from both Western traditional psychology as well as Eastern energy psychology. So each week, we'll put new tools into your toolkit to enhance your social confidence. Today, Andy Bryce and I will be discussing the importance of self-respect. Here's a bit about Andy. Andy Bryce is an EFT master, one of the only 29 in the world. He's been interested in how people think, what we believe, and how emotions work for most of his life. His father was a psychiatric nurse who worked in a large institution, and from the time Andy was six, he was learning about and experiencing the extremes of human thought and behavior. He was certified by Gary Craig, the founder of EFT, as an EFT Master Practitioner in 2006, and he's been working with EFT since 2000. So, Andy, thank you very much for being mm-hmm. on the show. Thank you, Sebastian. It's an honor to be here. Great. So, um, before we get into the discussion, the listeners uh, want to get to know you a bit and hear some words of encouragement. So, let's kick it off with the inspiration round. Now, Andy, I know from experience that overcoming social anxiety can be quite a struggle. For some people, it can happen really fast. For other people, it will take some serious time and persistence to free themselves and be able to live in a joyable, authentic life. And that's why we do this inspiration route each week. We, we want to be able to relate to you and then you know, hopefully hear some words of wisdom. <laughs> so... Um, I'll be asking you a bunch of questions, and if you can relate them back in story form, and uh, in our mm-hmm. little intro chat, you said that you're um, a talker, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that would be that would be great. So, um, can you share with us? Uh, have you experienced social anxiety yourself at some point in your life? Yes, I I still feel. Um that I would prefer to uh, be in a small group, uh, talk uh, important things with people that uh, are uh, I care about or, or just have real important things to talk about. Um, and I get uh, some anxiety before I have to address a group, which happens uh, fairly regularly. Um, and I can relate it back, um, I would say, to childhood and I was an only child up until I was almost six and just before that um, when I was I was growing up in Vancouver um, outside the city in a in a very agricultural areas that was mostly woods and uh, farms and one day I was um, as we did then you left the house in the summertime and you came back when you were hungry or when you were called. Anyway, this one time I was out by myself in, in a field and, and a, a young man rode up on a gorgeous Palomino horse, pony, you know, uh, a blonde mane and golden horse. And I was you know, really uh, struck by how beautiful the horse was. But it turned bad because he... Um, had the horse rearing and scaring me, and it, it got me running, uh, which was apparently his uh, motive. Because as he was uh, getting me uh, running, and I was running as fast as I could, uh, believe me, um, he tried out his rodeo technique by lassoing me around the neck, and uh, he was very good at it, apparently, because I just. Uh, was running one second and was horizontal to the ground the next second. So this um, would be called in EFT a specific event. Mm. You probably know of those, right? Mm. And um, so specific events have uh, 
emotional content. Uh, we have uh, often the, the emotions or the feelings um, that we had in that event recur vividly um, in, later in life. So um, I managed to uh, block this event out and forget about it, but it affected me uh, most of my life. And I just think I'm um, in 2003, which would have been um, almost 40 years later, or about that, 45 years later, I had the first opportunity to work on that, and that was with Gary Craig, um, which is recorded in his Borrowing Benefits uh, DVD set. And um, what the, we decided is that I had made some decisions, and one was um, I was powerless, um, didn't, and I would never want to be seen to be arrogant or abusive. And um, I didn't really believe I had any value, um, or this kind of thing wouldn't happen, um, even though I wasn't conscious on a day-to-day basis of that event. So um, how that affected me is, uh, you know, later on, I think I was 19 and I was asked to do a short speech for a friend of mine, um, uh, sort of like a roast, you know what that is, when when you tell funny stories about uh, someone. And, right. And I, I don't really remember what I said. Um, I got applause, but... I was so anxious. Uh, my eyes were filled with tears. I couldn't see. I uh, couldn't focus. Uh, I was shaking, and um, you know that uh, was kind of the rule as to how I would be with groups of people or how I felt um, in that kind of situation. So I tended to avoid them. So how's that for? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I can, I can, <laughs> I can personally relate to the avoiding, and I think just about any person on the list, on the you know, not on the call, but listening to this uh, can relate to that as well, because it sucks, right? It uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it sucks a lot, and uh, when it is painful, uh, I rather stay at home and do something mm-hmm. that I do enjoy. So yeah, absolutely, okay. So that experience. By the way, what a story. <laughs> What's wrong with that person to uh, lasso oh, yeah. a six-year-old kid? But yeah, that's a different story. But um, yeah, like how the experiences that we have in, uh, in life that are painful and traumatic, those feelings and emotions um, from these memories are triggered in our day-to-day life. That's a, that's a theme mm-hmm. that's coming back over and over again um, in the EFT world and also on these podcasts as, a, as we interview uh, the experts. So um, that's, that's definitely something we can uh, learn from. And um, what happened um, after you resolved that? Uh, well, now you know that I had been doing EFT uh, from uh, 2000. So this was a couple of years, almost three years later. And uh, and, um, and Gary was doing the Borrowing Benefits uh, workshops and um, invited me up on stage. And at one point uh, to test whether I was, uh, you know, reduced my anxiety around this, uh, he wrapped the, the microphone cord around my neck. And uh, um, to to yeah, um, to simulate the rope, I guess. Right. Uh, and um, now I know, he, you know, some people will go gasp, but um, he did it at a point where we both felt, yeah, we you know, it could it would be acceptable. So um, it was quite a powerful ex- experience for me because what happened was. Since I had blocked that out, I hadn't really been conscious of it until a conversation many years later with my mother who, who told me about finding me with rope burns on my neck and um, you know, she, she had to come out looking for me eight months pregnant and uh, um, you know, worried about where I was because I didn't come home. Mm-hmm. So um, what the session did w- with the tapping and and the work I did afterwards was um, to sort of put 
make sense of things that I did after that, which made sense when that was put in the timeline of understanding why I would um, avoid challenges uh, and and really uh, not believe in myself. I also spent a lot of time trying to make sure that people didn't think I was arrogant. And that's come into play with a number of my clients where um, they've had an experience where they they've been subjected to arrogance and uh, made a, a commitment to themselves not ever to be like that. So when we do something like that, we tend to institute uh, low self-respect, low self-esteem, uh, and uh, as a, an opposite to arrogance. It's, it's safer to be, uh, to have low self-esteem and low self-respect than to actually risk being arrogant. So all of that was in play before I learned EFT, and uh, since then, um, it, you know, I had, I knew well before that this this is what I wanted to do, and I loved it. Um, but it gave me the opportunity, and I think, as I might talk about later, I believe that we have three brains: we have the head brain, the heart, and the gut. And uh, my gut always told me, be safe and, you know, don't risk. And uh, after I felt safe, I started to, to feel more comfortable being out there and, and uh, working with people and just coming from my heart, which, which has been my guidance since then. Hmm. So after you uh, worked on stage and you resolved that painful memory, um, mm -hmm. you no longer felt unsafe and you became more courageous is that how i understand it yes um and less worried about what people thought of me mm. and more oriented around um what i thought was important and also i think giving respect to a byproduct of um this event which is i learned to watch people And as, I, as you mentioned earlier, with my dad being a, a psych nurse, and uh, we used to talk about cases. We used to um, uh, facilitate and help out at, at festivals and things. For the, it was you know, a couple thousand patients there. Um, I saw a lot of extremes, but I also observed minute uh, facial expressions and just just to feel safe. I thought I'd you know, needed to know. And that has come in very handy in my work because uh, I catch things that are just flashing by and, and ask, what's that? And people go, oh, you know, I've never, how did you do that? <laughs> I've never been questioned like that. So uh, giving some uh, value to um, what could have been uh, seen as a, a down uh, or a loss, it was... Uh, It gave me some very positive uh, skills, mm, and and trusting that has been um, good for me. And uh, uh, my clients have benefited from that too. Mm. Have you have you worked with the clients that suffer from social anxiety? Well, um, not being a, a a therapist that could define that or diagnose that, uh, I would say that people have come to me exhibiting uh, signs of it and um, anxiety in general, um, which for me, shame comes into it, you know, uh, mm -hmm. um, and I define shame as uh, different from guilt because guilt is... Um, I made a mistake. Uh, shame is I am a mistake or there's something missing in me. Mm. And one of the hardest things for people to deal with uh, is thinking that there's something wrong with me but not knowing what it is. Right. Because the closer I let people in, the more likely they are to see what I'm missing. So this... Uh, contributes to low self-respect and low self-esteem because it's not safe to let anyone in um, 
and it's as you agreed uh, avoidance is is better than taking a chance on uh trying uh, really hard at something mm. like there's something wrong with me is probably the most mm. common belief for people mm-hmm. suffering with social anxiety can you mm-hmm. sh- share with us uh, a transformation that you helped a client uh, go through who was dealing with that belief like what what was happening what uh, how did that person feel before what happened during the session how did he feel afterwards um well i have a, a fellow changed his name uh, but jim um even though he was a successful uh, officer in the military, um, has a highly educated uh, um, position in in, uh, his work, um, just was so terrified of being arrogant that um, he felt separate, alone, uh, you know, and and his father was also in the military, so he established uh, a very harsh routine that uh, my client Jim couldn't, could never do anything right. Mm. And uh, he just yearned for some sort of um, acceptance and, and warmth and intimacy. But when he went to his mother, um, she was cold and distant and too busy with the other kids. So um, he's grown up um, and he's, you know, um, now, when I started working with him in his early 60s, and um, panicky, uh, didn't, uh, first of all, he, he, he wouldn't charge, well, let's say he's a lawyer, and he wouldn't charge what other lawyers charged. People would come to him and go, well, you can't be very good because you're, uh, you're practically free. Um, and... He couldn't just say to uh, people, this is what I can do for you. And when we worked together, uh, this is a bit of an overview, but when we worked together, he, his most common answer would be, I don't know. Um, what do you want? Where do you want to go? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and his only source of self-esteem, self-respect was um, to have uh, sex with a woman and that would give him, he would feel good because he would give pleasure and receive pleasure and that would last for however long those things last. But then he would be empty again. So when uh, we started working together, it, it looked like this was an addiction issue. But really what the addiction was about was his need to have some self-respect, to to accept himself. Mm -hmm. And the only way he thought he could do it was this way. And every time we worked, even if he got some insights and some, uh, you know, big ahas, the next time it would be like we were starting over. And I was getting quite frustrated with that but. He real, you know, we realized that his fear of being arrogant was so great that every time he felt good about himself, he had to. It was a slippery slope, and he was going to go to arrogance. And we did. Um, we identified some specific events um, starting around six years old, and we tapped on those. Um, to bring down the intensity of the memories. But then we started to look at where did this fear of arrogance come from? What did it mean about him? And what was the definition of confidence? Because he actually had confidence as knowing what you're doing. So how can someone appear confident if they don't know what's going to happen? And so... Working through a number of sessions, we got him to a point where the the triggers um, of his anxiety and also the solution for him, which was um, in multiple relationships, um, began to relax. And he started to focus on 
success in his business because successfully defending someone was something that he could feel good about for more than a few minutes. You know what I mean? There's a difference between something that's over and it's done and another thing where you build uh, a collection of memories that actually demonstrate your competence and something that you can then respect yourself for. Mm. So that was really what I wanted to do is to take the small, smallest, begin with the smallest, tiniest uh, incidents that when he thought about himself uh, in that event, he could go, well, you know, I did a good job there. And so this was um, sort of like going to the gym. Um, you don't pick up 300 pounds and start you know, exercising with it. You start at a, a smaller weight and work up. And I think with something like self-respect, to expect someone to just go flip a switch and, oh, yeah, I get it, I'm, I'm worthwhile. After 60 um, years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a challenge. So... So we wanted to give him something that um, he he could build on. And one of his uh, skills that he had was rumination. Um, are you aware of, of that, uh, being able to go over and over and over and over something? Mm-hmm. And generally, it's uh, the outcome is negative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so he was really good at that. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we just took that ability to go off in his head and, and to vividly you know, have this scenario played out again and uh, just got him to do that with positive things. Um, and it took a while, but uh, it's actually uh, seeing his life change, his practices building, um, and in fact, all of the staff that he has are being replaced because they were chosen originally on I'm not good enough. And uh, now um, there's a real um, impatience with people that um, you know don't support him to be the man he knows he can be. Mm. That's, that's, a, that's a big change. And uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting how um, when you change a fundamental core belief um, mm-hmm. such as the one uh, you described, how it, you, your outside world starts to change. The people that you hang out with, the things that you, um, you know, the quality of life that you expect of yourself, the things that you deem important. And it's, it's, it's a big change. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, see, yeah. I see what you're saying in um, how a, a big change like that at at times will will take some time, especially if you had that belief for sixty years. It will take mm-hmm. some, it will take some time to really uh, change something like that around. Yeah, yeah. Which reminds me, actually, of another uh, client um, um, just uh, this year, and um, what I am so impressed with her is that I think she's mid-40s, 47, um, she was willing to put down a story of her life that she had for over 40 years of being unloved and uh, unlovable and different and misunderstood. And, you know, I could could give you all the reasons why she believed that, but um, when she put that down, her whole life had to be re- understood it i mean you know when you're when you're taking this uh the evidence was so clear that because we we had the rare gift of her resolving issues with her mother and her father separate issues that had been in place for more than 20 years one 26 years one more than that um and then she began to see and remember events where they did have fun and they did care for her and um, so, um, in the past, her reticular activation system or RES was selecting out of you know millions of events only the ones that propped up her story of being unlovable, um, which is what we do. We delete, distort, and generalize um, to maintain our point of view. But when her point of view changed, none of that worked anymore. 
and it was more um it, it was amazing to see but also she needed to find and uh, and that's where we went uh, into finding a way of understanding this new way of being because it's so different she's in a loving relationship she has calls with her parents weekly because they're thousands of miles apart but um, they're closer than they've ever been how how do I see myself how do I uh, redefine myself and um, that's been um, in some ways fun to to see her um, you know in the process of redefining a life uh, but also um, it was my commitment after we you know, after I saw this huge shift, that that I wouldn't let her um, go it alone, and she wanted to continue working until she feels secure and safe in in that. You know, that's such a huge uh, shift to make, mm. and I think anyone who has gone from that kind of um, life of emptiness. She said she had a hole in her heart. She ate or she achieved, either worked or ate to, uh, to fill that hole. And, and like our other client, uh, Jim, he, he had other ways of, of filling the hole, but it, it was a gaping wound that was bottomless. And until the, the core belief of not good enough, um, was shifted. And then it's really different, but it's not just, you know, as I think that change um, is only change if it's uncomfortable, because if it isn't, it's not really different enough to have made a difference. Mm. So, yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes clients can have um, a belief that they had for a really long time such as I'm not good enough or, you know, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me and it can shift mm-hmm. really quickly. And, mm-hmm. um, and then they're kind of uh, left in a state of confusion and they're like, well, <laughs> is this really mm-hmm. gone? <laughs> it's like, um, what, what, yeah. what just happened? And then the integration of that process, um, that can sometimes, you know, it, take take a bit of time and um I, you know I, i'm i'm curious uh what your experience is with that um my experience is that sometimes it will go on its own and mm-hmm. you know it will just naturally evolve things uh, automatically start to change and for other people yeah. um you know they they will want some guidance because um you know that there are other things that need to be addressed uh, aside from mm-hmm. just that main belief Yes, I think that that's one of the great things about EFT is that uh, quite often you'll um, actually dissolve the intensity and the attachment to the belief I'm not good enough or, um, you know, there's something wrong with me or or something like that. Uh, So um, when when a child of five years old or or you know, eight or nine even, is, is making a decision about themselves and life. It's often with uh, only the evidence they have and the life experience they have. And unfortunately, those things get imprinted. And then they continue to act out of them for the rest of their lives. And when we actually dissolve that and release them from those parameters there's a whole new paradigm and some people fly into it they just go feel released and and you see things changing um not because you're trying to change them but you just go oh you know that was different i I reacted differently i've never done that before Mm. there's evidence of me being different and i think that uh, is true of self-respect because if you have a certain level of self-respect you will say no to things you think are better than you. Um, uh, A phrase I use quite often is, no one can love you more than you love yourself. And you can change love to respect. No one can respect you more than you respect yourself. If someone tries to offer you a compliment or give you something that you are uncomfortable with, you'll find a way to to, um, deflect it. And so when 
there's really just the two ways. You're either going to take this new paradigm and fly with it, or you're going to um, tailor it to yourself. And uh, I think that uh, both ways are um, legitimate and, and uh, need support as well. And how would you define self-respect? Well, self-respect, unfortunately, self-respect gets tied up with emotions. And I think it's really just a practical thing. Um, In the case of uh, Jim, he was never given feedback to know when he did something well. It was always not good enough. Mm. Um, Then... Uh, younger generations quite often are told they're wonderful, they can do anything, they have, uh, you know, they're magnificent and there's no real basis for that. They haven't done something, they're just given the blanket, you're wonderful. And neither one actually gives you self-respect. Self-respect is um, the ability to look at your skills, talents, achievements, um, your uh, capabilities ongoing in the past and in the moment in a calm, cool manner so that you can assess, you know, is this right for me? Um, and is that helpful? Sure. And, and, and hmm. if, if, if someone doesn't have self-respect, what problems could that lead to in their life? Well, opportunities are allowed to go by. Um, I think self-sabotage is is one of the uh, co-conspirators, let's say, of of low self-esteem and low self-respect because if, um, and I I find that I I was, uh, one of my best skills was self-sabotage. I I could, uh, it's not a conscious thing, but life begins begins to be too good and then you find a way unconsciously of of, uh, bringing it back down again. So I think that is a consequence um, of low self-esteem because you really have no confidence in being able to take on this thing that's offered. You also can be led by other people to say, oh, let's do this, uh, come and work with this, or, or let's do that. And um, instead of knowing yourself and, and thinking about what's right for you, and um, I think... Uh, saying yes to the things that are good for you and being able to say no um, come with self-respect. So quite often if you have no self-respect, you find it difficult to say no to things Mm. that you should say no to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I also hear often from clients, um, yeah, um, they're not respecting me, or these people, mm-hmm. you know, they're 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 being disrespectful towards me, um, mm-hmm. and um, what I also uh, know from personal experience is, <laughs> in the past, I did not expect myself at all, and mm-hmm. I, I did not respect myself at all, and as a result, mm-hmm. um, I was an easy target to be toyed with, and mm-hmm. uh, you know. After I uh, gotten my self-respect together, I, I no longer needed to defend myself because it didn't even come up anymore. People are not playing around with me. Anymore. They're not disrespecting me any longer. So mm-hmm. the, the problem all along was not that people didn't respect me. It was that I didn't respect mm-hmm. myself. And you know it was yeah. reflected by the people around me what, what the issue was within myself. Yeah, I think that's that's very accurate because, um, you know, if the pain is inside you and the need is inside you, then um, you, uh, as I said earlier, the reticular activation system, the RAS, tends to support the, any belief you have uh, by sorting through information to find the things that support it. Yeah. Um, and quite often we're told uh, not to that we shouldn't need. Uh, people's support and feedback. You shouldn't need people to say you're okay. Um, And I have, I think there are two stages to that. One is if I need you to tell me I'm okay, then um, it's because I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. 
and I want you to convince me. So yes, that's not a that's not the greatest thing. You need to work on on freeing yourself from that. But as I became um, what I would say is a, a good practitioner and helping people, I needed to allow myself to hear the feedback so that um, you know I knew what I was doing well and, and uh, I needed to be able to accept that you know, I was having a positive influence. So it's not about letting go uh, um, of, of um, external feedback. It's about whether you need it or not. Um, does that make sense? Mm, not sure. I'm okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So, so if I need you to tell me I'm okay, mm-hmm. then then I'm pulling at th- things and I don't believe it. But as I learn to believe in myself, um, I stopped needing the uh, feedback. It became less relevant. But it was, it shifted to um, being in touch with my environment. Mm. And what happened with Jim is that he couldn't deal. It was really upsetting if he wasn't getting the proper feedback. And like you were saying, uh, they don't respect me. And and as he began to respect himself, that became less relevant. But as a lawyer, he still needed to know, um, still needed to look at um, how many clients he was getting, how satisfied the clients were, uh, being willing to take uh, good and bad feedback so he could improve. But it went from being a necessary need to feel okay about myself to a way of improving. Mm, okay. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Um. Wasn't necessary, and it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't about easing any pain inside. It was just, you know, uh, external feedback. Okay, I'll take it. I'll see what I can do better. Hmm. When when someone is is uh, dealing with uh, low self respect, how would someone move from no self respect to self respect? Well, I think I addressed it earlier. It's like uh, you know, weightlifting. You want to find. Um, uh, some area where you can accept that this is this is good about me. You need a wedge in the door. Um, and as uh, with the clients, I would be working with specific events from the past, uh, uh, reducing the intensity of the um, emotion that's attached to the negative beliefs, let's say, and. Can, can, you, then, can, can uh, you give an example mm-hmm. of that? Because I don't think uh, people will really understand uh, what that would look like. So how would you find uh, these specific events related to their issue of low self-respect? When one of my clients was three, her only friend was her sister who was two years older. And they started to... Um, play uh, take piano lessons like at three and five years old and they started with the same book and the younger one the three-year-old surpassed the five-year-old in um, in a very short time this upset the older sister and um so the young one my client lost her only friend so she associated doing well with loss and as we started to work through that, um, because she was alienated from the rest of her family and had no, other, no friends, the piano became the only um, voice she had. And uh, when she was 12, she had an experience where she felt she lost her voice. And she blamed it on her father, the circumstances. And uh, so between those two events... She had no self-respect, and she also had things tied in where if she was successful. And here's what I think stops a lot of us is paradoxical thinking. It's either or. Either I, uh, you know, if I try too hard, I lose people I love. Uh, it's not safe to be me. And uh, 
and yet there's a part of part of us who, that generally does want to go forward and get better. So it ends up in paralysis. So looking for these events, they're generally known by the client. They're you know they're they're historical events that um, when they think about them, they have intensity. Hmm. Would you ask him a question to, you know, like, uh, where did you lose respect for yourself or something along those lines? Well, once we found uh, certain um, responses and and we've elicited these things, then yes, I would say that you would say, well, have you ever felt this feeling before? And if you have, when was the first time you felt this? And quite often they can go back and... Uh, the other and and access it. Um, often I will have in the first uh, or even in the interview before I work with someone, I'll ask them to uh, create a list of specific events that relate to the issues that they are coming to me for. Um, that's often helpful. Um, I ask them to uh, make the list, and so just a few words to identify the event. Um, whatever emotion, identify the emotion that was tied to it, and the intensity of 0 to 10, 10 being the most at the time. Because it could be different now. Mm. You know, so then that gives us a um, often a, a list, uh, a healthy list to work with. Uh, when I did it for myself in 2000, I had... Uh, I had a separate list from my father, issues with my father, events with my mother, events at school. Uh, you know, there was you know, probably a um, hundred or so. And uh, you can have hundreds. And in fact, uh, Gary Craig's personal peace uh, process was designed to work on one at a time and eliminate, uh, you know, one a day, let's say, and you could go to over 300 in a year. And um, so someone would find himself, um, you know, in a, in a certain situation. He might remember a certain situation of uh, last week or last month where he uh, really felt bad about himself. And uh, he would, you know, remember that feeling. And you would ask him, well, when can you remember feeling that way? Or when was the first time you felt that way? And then you would address that with the EFT and that would help him raise his self-respect well it actually diminished the intensity of the memory the emotion connected to the memory which would then um, help release the the um, the memory from active actively being triggered so there's really only three ways that we can access things one is through thought um, uh, if we discover or notice that we're having um, Recurrent negative thought patterns, um, we can take charge of those. I'll ask them, you know, do you have any um, thoughts that come up that, um, that, you, that affect you negatively? Um, in which case we can work with those, diffuse them a bit, and then I'll actually give them homework to, to recognize them when they're doing them and tap which is, is sort of like an, an, an addiction process as well because you work on the, the emotional causes, but you also work on the, the moments in the, in the present that they come up and, and work on that. Then you have emotions, which is you know uh, intense emotions of grief or sadness or anxiety, um, which we focus on and tap through. Because I think they're like waves. Emotions are like water. Uh, if we repress them and push them down, then they become stagnant and toxic. Um, so the, the real um, value of emotions is when they flow. And if, they, if a wave of emotion comes up and you resist it, it's like being at the beach. If you stand face onto a wave or turn your back to it, it's going to knock you over. But if you dive into it, then you just cut right through it and it moves by. And that's what tapping can do for uh, emotional waves or peaks in the moment. And the other thing is getting in, them in touch with their physical body. Like, as you said, how does that feel? Well, 
it may have an emotion, but it's most likely going to have a kinesthetic or sensory experience of, you know, when we're afraid, we might get butterflies or nausea or cramping. And if um, people can become aware of that, um, they can do some tapping in that moment, and that helps them through that wave. Mm -hmm. And that starts to to, to lessen those feelings of um, l lower self-respect, and then. Well, it's a win every time you do that as well. So you're building a catalog of, of successes. Like I didn't let that stop me. You know, I I, um, I felt that and I moved and did what I wanted to do, mm. and, and so that's the building the muscle of confidence and and self-respect. So we, um, I basically would look at uh, bringing back the the client to the um, to the physical experience which often is what keeps us in place because if, if something's scary, you, you feel it, don't you? I mean, you feel it in your muscles or you want to run away or whatever. And when you stop feeling the reaction to the thought or the emotion, then you feel safer to, um, to keep doing what you've decided to do. Mm. And that helps build uh, respect because the more... I mean, I just watch people say, oh, I, I'm so happy I did this. You know, I did... Um, uh, public speaking is a great way uh, because when they, you know, they go, I'm not good enough. I've never, I, I don't believe I can do this. And they go through a physical anxi anxiety about it and then they've achieved it. That is something that they can't deny. Mm, yep. Uh, and that adds to, well, I did that then. And that's actually. Um, working towards building that new paradigm and a new um, point of view about who I am and uh, and you know what what respect I can offer myself. Yeah. yeah. And I think first of all, understanding that respect isn't you know um, arrogance because with Jim if he started to respect himself and feel good about himself he was afraid of uh, the next step would be being an arrogant uh, jerk mm. you know so he was trapped he'd go so far and then have to go back and as we as he began to understand that trap um he realized it wasn't a necessary step that he could actually believe in himself without uh being arrogant. Hmm. So, so that understanding that, hey, self-respect is a good thing, and then releasing the, you know, painful memories that are connected um, to the lower self-respect. And from hmm. that place, you feel better, and you take more action, and you build those positive um, mm -hmm. you know, reference experiences. That really starts to to build that self-respect and the, it kind of, you know, get more respect, do more things, get more uh, positive reference experiences, have even more respect mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And you get into the a positive momentum forward. And it's between uh, sessions with a therapist or practitioner that these are important because they're self-created. It's something that I did myself. You can come back to your therapist and say, look, you know, I did this and this and, uh, and celebrate together. And, um, it's not just, um, you know, uh, once a week or every, you know, session that you, you work with it. It's the thing that I admired about EFT when in 2000, when I was introduced to it, I said, wow, you know, I can actually teach people how to do this. Mm. It isn't just, uh, like, a an acupuncturist isn't going to give you a little bag of needles and say, you know, go put them here, here, and here uh, uh, twice a day for a week. It, we can actually do this and we can use it. So it's um, um, a simple toolkit that you can use for yourself. And uh, I've found that the people who are willing to integrate uh, tapping in, in their daily lives get the most out of it. Mm. Absolutely. So 
for people listening to this who've tried a bunch of things, uh, try to face their fears, grit their teeth, and uh, you know, <laughs> try to overcome their anxiety, but they're still stuck. Um, yeah. And they worry that they live with it for the rest of their lives. Um, what could you say to them to provide some uh, hope and perspective? Well, uh, from my point of view, um, feeling uh, self-doubt, um, uh, which is directly related to how much respect I had for myself and belief uh, that I could you know, accomplish things, and going from a pretty uh, low level, I, I used to compare myself to a sailboat without a rudder because whichever the, wind, the way the wind was blowing, that's where I went. Um, to a person who I, I believe that I um, come from a good place of caring and, and loving uh, individuals and humanity and, and the planet, um, I know uh, my capabilities. I know when to say, "Yeah, I think you need to, uh, you know, find a, a professional uh, doctor to talk about this to, and um, a healthcare professional." And uh, so I know what I can do and what my limitations are. And um, it's uh, it's something that if you knew where I was coming from, and you know where I am you'd be quite amazed. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. So um, what I would suggest is to to look for things that you can do yourself. And one of the things I believe uh, about EFT is that it's simple. And the things that are simple can be used. And our society tends to focus on complicated. Um, if it's complicated enough, then it must be you know, brilliant. And uh, those things rarely actually help us. So looking, uh, looking to make small uh, baby steps that you can hold on to, because I don't know if you're like this, but for me, there are so many times and I had so many clients who have set themselves up to do something big. It scares them. And they run away from it, and they add to their low self-respect. Mm, yep. All right. We're wanting to so do that, it all at once, or uh, yeah. just just you know fix myself before this one event that's coming up. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, yeah, exactly. Trying to do everything a, in one day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a setup. So baby steps, um, and I think uh, impatience can come in, and so we need to be patient, um, which you know, again, allows you to build and, uh, um, you know, EFT is known for its one minute wonders. And, and, uh, I had a, a, a student once who, who was so upset because after his first one minute wonder or two, he didn't get them and he thought he, he had, you know, lost his touch. And, uh, he believed that every session would be a one minute wonder and it, it just doesn't happen. Mm. By the way, um, Some, a, a one. Sorry to interrupt you, Andy, but uh, mm-hmm. for people yeah. listening, a one-minute wonder is. Uh, can you explain what that is quickly? Well, uh, really, it was just a term for a session that that where someone is so um, ready. Let's say, I mean, they've been working to a certain point, and they get this aha. The penny drops, and they go, "Wow, yes, I see it." That I'm uh, the the. Um, I've I've had this. Uh, occur with clients um, with EFT and, and in the 80s I did body work for releasing uh, I created a body work for releasing emotions and uh, these these epiphanies it's, it's like a slap on the forehead and you, you all, all of a sudden see everything and things change and they walk away and, and things are very different um, a big emotional shift Yes, there's a release. Uh, it's like a, a release of uh, emotion and an understanding, an overwhelming new point of view that people can go, oh, yeah, okay, this makes sense, I've got it. Uh, and you can clearly see that they've let go of the old uh, situation. And it happens. It happens uh, quite often, but it's not something to assess your ability uh, with EFT. 
over. Because mm. it's really the ones that uh, um, take time and effort and and, uh, and skill that uh, that you might assess yourself on. Yeah. So. Let's move on to, we've already uh, spoken of EFT quite a bit. I think we should move on to uh, the final empowerment round. So, Andy, um, you know, like we've been talking, for some people it will take quite a journey to let go of their social anxiety, build their self-respect and create a life that... uh, you know, that's really amazing. And so mm-hmm. we want to um, share a couple of resources for them. Um, so two quick questions for resources. One, can you please share with us a book or a movie or a biography or a video or some resource that is empowering and then share why you chose it? Well, um, I'm currently reading a book called Avoiding the Enemies to Happiness, um, written by Grant Susalu. Grant and uh, Marvin Oka uh, wrote a book called uh, M-Braining, Using Your Multiple Brains to Do Cool Stuff. And uh, that intrigued me so much that I took their certified uh, coaching um, class. And it, it reminds me in a way of... EFT in you know the late 1990s, uh, 2000 when I discovered it for myself, um, it it was I think a breakthrough and I would say that tapping itself is uh, in in any way you do it is uh, probably one of the greatest advancements in a hundred years for uh, uh, personal growth and and, uh, therapy. However, it doesn't change how you think. It just allows you to change. Mm-hmm. It, it's not affecting your thoughts. It's affecting your ability to choose your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing. And what Grant's done with um, actually, whether you see it as a metaphor, actually we have three brains um, and they suspect there could be more. But um, actively, if, if uh, we are coherent, um, you may have heard of heart math and well, for me, being heart-centered in everything I do with my dog, with my daughter, with my wife, with my friends, with my clients, is very important to me. Um, and what I find is that where the big benefit was for me was from the gut and realizing that quite often our gut feelings are accurate and uh, quite useful. On the other hand, if we have these old beliefs that it's dangerous to be seen or whatever, the gut can actually take us out. And so understanding these things is really useful. And learning how to align the three brains, get your head, your heart, and your gut and um, alignment, um, it really seems to um, have a positive effect. And uh, Grant's latest book is, uh, I'm just stuck into it, but it's, it's uh, easy to read, it's um, easy to absorb, and he's basically using um, positive, the new positive psychology, uh, NLP, and, and uh, some Eastern um, thing, uh, contexts such as uh, balanced breathing, uh, understanding the use of the autonomic nervous system and how important it is to have it uh, in balance uh, rather than fight or flight or um, you know the laid back healing mode we, we there are other ways of having this so I find it really useful and I would recommend uh, uh, entirely to do this and how I feel that that EFT and embraining uh, go together is is that one uh, the tapping can release the the past um, you know when I when I discovered EFT for me it was actually a phone call from someone who knew I'd been in pain for seven years and that nothing had worked and within a very short period of time a couple of months I was pain free because of EFT and um so I'll never uh, let go of that. But a couple of points, simple points. One is 
being focused on the highest expression coming from the heart and working towards developing wisdom within ourselves and our friends and clients, I think, um, is an honorable uh, desire and commitment. And that's um, what embraining seems to be about. Interesting. So I think they're a lovely, a lovely match. Hmm. So um, can you please leave us with where we find out more about you and then end by sharing your favorite quote? Okay. Well, um, my wife and I um, are just completing our uh, new website, and that's www.tappingthrough.com. And tapping through is a directly relates to the concept of tapping through issues. Um, you know, the, the wave concept, you know, diving through or tapping through as things come up. And um, we'll have uh, videos. Um, uh, there are a number of videos that I've done on YouTube. Um, if you search for any Bryce EFT or founding EFT master, um, uh, it was uh, quite a challenge to, uh, uh, to, to accomplish that. They made it very difficult. Um, and uh, so I, I think um, my favorite quote is, uh, that applies to self-respect is um, because we can often take ourselves um, quite seriously um, is a quote from G.K. Chesterton and it's angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Uh, Andy, thank you very much. Um, um, really appreciate you being on the show and when you're listening to this thank you for listening and you can find all that we mentioned on the show notes page that is socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash Andy now if you're interested in getting some guidance to overcome your social anxieties so you can feel calm and relaxed in social situations I'm available for Skype coaching sessions and to contact me to inquire about that you can go to socialanxietysolutions.com forward slash contact hope you enjoyed the show look forward to connecting with you next week again bye for now mm-hmm.